Hello, Eric Garland. Nice to see you. It's been hello, a few Hello, Zeb Shalev. Uh, well, it's, just, it's been a long summer. I have a feeling it's going to be a long fall. There is a lot of news. Uh, we have been very hard at work on a lot of things. Some of them are a bit of a retelling of history. Some of it are brand new. They're all interesting stuff. And that still starts September 8th will be the start of the season. This is not the start of the season. This was meant to just be an encore show. And we were going to discuss today Leonard Leo. This week, we found out got a $1.6 billion gift from Barry Saeed just to avoid some taxes. But also, you know, not that Leonard Leo needs another $1.6 billion so, to spend on anything. So some taxes, $400 million in taxes. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. that's what happens yeah. if you're rich, you know, you can get away with that. Oh. He cashed out uh, $1.6 billion in stock yeah. of Triplite uh, that manufactures almost entirely out of China. That's just so interesting to me for, you know, money from that enterprise to be funding our Supreme Court. Yeah, it's not only Seems the Supreme Court. Like- this might be a, a variety of, of extreme right Christian nationalist viewpoints, not only the Supreme Court. Because, you know, oh, the other catcher, school boards, like- these guys want it all. And yeah. with $1.6 billion in a year? You know, tax free or tax deferred yeah. or tax delayed or however you want to call it. <sighs> I, you could probably get down to every dog catcher. Yeah. I mean, $1.6 billion will buy you a lot of elections. The, the thing is, isn't he Jewish? I, I think he's Jewish. And, and yet here he is. Um, this way basically Christian nationalist positions that he's funding. I don't know about that. But, I, you know, it's just a, it seems unusual to me that anyone would give up $1.6 billion to just one fund. Never mind one as extreme as this. And it's not his first time playing in this in the sandpit with Leonard Leo. He also, along with the Koch brothers, was a key funder for the George Mason University renaming their legal library, the Scalia Library, uh-huh. School of Law. The whole yeah. School of Law. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he contributed to that too. These are unusual positions for anyone to be taking when I'm sure he's got other interests or family or other things he might want to give his money to. I mean, why $1.6 just to this marble foundation or whatever it is that Leonard Leo has decided to call his new effort? Seems uh, suspect to me. I kind of want to take a second and just celebrate this moment, actually, because we're getting down to guys like Barry Said, who some of the cognoscenti know about. The guys in the back room know about uh, a lot of the GOP candidates. Uh, I think Kevin McCarthy's pretty well acquainted with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is we're getting towards the real wiring of the Republican side of things, though, I, I think Barry said does money in both parties. You have to be careful with these guys uh, to say that they're just a funder of one because they're frequently not. I don't know um, if I might, might have read that he did fund both parties, but I think most of his recent activity has been to the right. I can't be sure. I, I'll have to double check that. I, yeah, I that 1.6 billion. That's a chunk of change. I mean, so. it's not only that Kevin McCarthy knows about him. You know, actually, there was a segment on TV last night. I couldn't believe it. I almost knocked myself off my chair. Chris Hayes on MSNBC did a segment about Leonard Leo. Which is now a new thing. I'm going to actually think that should be the term. And Leonard Leo is the amount of time it takes for the mainstream media to actually get a concept or an idea or a name that, are, that originates first on the internet. It takes that long. So in this case, Leonard Leo is about a year. Thank you, Chris Hayes, uh, for finally acknowledging that Leonard Leo existed and doing a segment about him. It's good that people get to know who Leonard Leo is because this is the real money. This is where the money gets funded around and sloshed around all these Radical ideas that bring you things like um, the end of abortion rights or women's rights or voting rights or gay rights or free speech or whatever it is that we're going to hear in the next few months. That is where all of this gets funded. Um, And it's a lot of money. And no one really knows about where this money really comes from or 
Well, you know, especially once you have uh, you have financiers who have offshore interests and who have businesses that are dependent on the decisions of foreign governments. You know, at some point you start to look at, you know, what's their duty to disclose under the uh, the National Security Division Barry unit? Mm-hmm. Just a thought. And we're not just looking for people who yeah. have businesses in Russia anymore. Like you, you got to look at every single country in the world and say, well, wait a second. Now, what are their real interests in playing here? And, uh, and certainly China comes up a lot. And it's a bit of a, a hint of what we're going to be focusing on. It seems to me and it seems to you, I know that there's a China's efforts to destabilize democracy have been widespread and extensive, go back decades. And yes, they have been partnered with other countries like Russia, certainly the the, the Russia influence in 2016 is very valid still, but and all the way through to today, there's Saudi Arabia, there's the UAE, there's Israel, there's been a bunch of countries that have meddled in, in American democracy, but really none have been as consistent as the Chinese. And yet they seem to be you know, hidden behind all these other countries, let's just say that, and often behind a lot of these other billionaires. You know, a lot of the, a lot of those billionaires have their, most of their financial interests in China. So it yeah. looks a little bit like, um, looks like a pattern, you know, and when there's patterns, we like, you and I like to dig into those. You know, what do the different uh, countries that have uh, decided they have a certain interest in America's politics, what do they bring to the table if, uh, individually or jointly? Right. Russia brings um, trade craft. They're just I said it in the first game theory thread, December 11th, 2016. They're great at covert shit. They rule. They do really well. They like innovated this stuff. And, uh, you know, they're they're the OGs. And they integrate really well as well. Like they're able to immerse themselves in other societies very, very well. So, you know, you don't you're not suspicious about the Russian next door because they look so much like you know, like anybody else in your society. Um, and yet it's often, sometimes at least, they can be doing all sorts of nefarious things. You know, Saudi can control like uh, the flow of petroleum and, and, uh, and they have a lot of cash to mm-hmm. spread around as well. Mm-hmm. So they bring that. You know, Israel's kind of uh, in the intelligence sense, they're kind of Russia light. There's a little kind of Russia heavy in some cases um, in terms of the composition of who's around. But, uh, you know, they have an enormous close knowledge of the United States. They and, know us yeah. better than we know ourselves. And a lot of them are binational. It's, it's complicated. And they have signals um, intelligence. I mean, they're very good at sort of eavesdropping. You know, the, 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 the Russians are good at integrating yeah. and, and showing up and actually pretending to do things. The Israelis are good at sort of listening in, manipulating, uh, doing stuff with your social media, uh, manipulation, sentiment analysis. That's what their sort of their coup de grace is. But, you know, the reason they are so yeah, good at that that's all. is because they got a lot of their technology from the United States, firstly. Secondly, they're hedging bets. You know, Israel's getting a lot of money out of China, too. They know that it's, it's, they need the Chinese money, too. So you got to look at it like China and Saudi Arabia and UAE is sort of being middlemen to these bigger uh, countries like Russia and China and, and the United States, and they're sort of playing both sides. Well, we had two choices in the early 90s with regards to China as uh, Russia went through its transformation. And that was either we either engage with them, you know, economically, mm-hmm. or we compete against them militarily and economically. And the choice that was made was uh, the first one. And we, you know, in doing so, we sent so much manufacturing over there and we had such a trade deficit and they just had so much cash from doing business with us that they've been able to front just about everybody else that wants to take a swing. 
And I think it's pretty clear that China, the the experiment in trying to get along as, uh, you know, respectful peers, you know, that's clearly done. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're interested in being friends with the United States in the way that we are interested in being friends with them. Uh, they certainly are not interested in our human rights policies. They're not interested in uh, allowing us access to their Pacific Rim. And they're certainly being more and more militarily aggressive by the day. So we should face facts. Those are real. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is what um, Citizens United has invited. If you're uh, somebody that wants to understand this, you know, because we're a republic and a democratic republic, and it's incumbent upon us as citizens to be informed. And the way you do that is through public information. And the more that you shut down the source of, of money, then you shut down the people's ability to understand who's talking here. And America, I, I, you know, my personal belief is the notion that money equals free speech in the United States is specious. It's been upheld as such with McCutcheon and uh, Citizens United. But hopefully the more we peel back just how much foreign money has flowed into the United States, it seems like that's a basis for lawsuits to try and, hey, you know, they, they superseded Roe v. Wade. Which, by the way, flawed piece of legislation, did an important thing. Perhaps it can be superseded. Dobbs can be superseded. But I think Citizens United and McCutcheon, this notion that um, well, money equals uh, free speech. Well, whose money? Beijing's mm -hmm. money? Mm -hmm. I don't see the usefulness in that. Much like I didn't see the usefulness, you know, a bunch of... Uh, you know, teenagers in Murmansk uh, pretending to be angry American voters yelling at us on Facebook. That's like they don't have the right to free speech here. And, you know, you don't have the right to uh, plug into, you know, maybe, I don't know, Twitter's API or whatnot and go do whatever you want. Uh, you know, <laughs> Unless you work you there, know, apparently, if you work there, you get access to anything. Uh, so that's like, no, I, was like, oh, I, okay, I certainly hope none of them were <laughs> serving foreign governments while doing so. Well, you, you know, know there was those two Saudi guys we caught, but yeah, you know what? I, you I think the you don't suppose there are any more. I suppose there's quite a few. I suppose we're going to find out quite a few. There's a hearing on that coming up. So, um, it's a tough day here because, you know, you sent me a piece from the New York Post about Steve Hoffenberg, who is a friend of the show, a friend of mine who. It was an enormous source of mine for all the reporting we did about Jeffrey Epstein. You and I sat with him on many hours of the show, listening to Steve recount so many incredible stories. Steve, or at least they think that it's Steve's body because his body was found quite decomposed, was found uh, dead today at, at 77 in his home. Certainly the last time I spoke to him was about six months ago. He sounded, you know, he was always, he always looked a little frail to me and I was always worried about his health, but he was, you know, still, still quite vibrant. And, you know, it's sad. It's sad just for him to go because this was a man who has had a lot of critics along the way. People who've disputed his stories told me that, you know, he's not telling you the truth or he's making things up. And, and yet I've sat with him for probably more hours than anybody else. I think I sat with him for oh endless hours of a period of time, maybe a hundred hours and listened to him tell the story over and over again in different ways. And I, I know reason to doubt anything he said. He was consistent. He, he was um, honest. Everything he said, I tended to, you know, I looked around, we did the research, we found backup for it. There was nothing that he said that I couldn't prove otherwise. And of course, the biggest thing that he said that uh, we could prove otherwise was that he was a, that Jeffrey Epstein was a spy for Israeli military intelligence. That is something that, you know, I'm sure the Israelis, although we don't know for sure, but there are people who do not like that story out about him. Um, there are people who have come after me or telling that story. And uh, there's people who certainly try to damage Steve's credibility over the years. And, you know, he's not with us anymore. So 
I am going to spend some time tonight, and this is this will be interesting for both of us because yeah, Eric, we've been around for longer than we realize. <laughs> By the way, when you see this video, well, that's true. Yeah, this is. It feels, <laughs> it, you know, it feels like a long time. Can I just recount for the audience what yeah. the first time when I was on the show? And uh, for those of you who don't know, Zeb has a marvelous talent for not telling you what's about to come on and then having a video. Big, a big deal. And I dial in. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've got Jeffrey Epstein's partner. And I was like, what? 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 And, and all of a sudden, boom, talking with Steve Offenberg and like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Robert Maxwell's like, oh, it's all cool. You know, he taught him the spy stuff. I didn't want to do the spy stuff. And I mean, it was like, well, here we go. It's so. in fact, uh, you know, that's the episode. I was looking, listening around to various tapes today because I really wanted to uh, to check in and see what uh, what shows we should play, what clips we should play. And there's some tremendous stuff that we're going to go through tonight. It's just, it's interesting because the, what he says is still so valid. But he, he's so interesting, the story he shares. He's given us insight into Jeffrey Epstein's life that no one else was able to give us. And, you know, he's gone now, but we do have his story on tape. And these are some of the Tapes we've already broadcast live. Of course, I have others that have not been broadcast live, which are just so fascinating. I'm going to listen to them over the next few weeks. But I'm going to take us way back to one of the first times he was with us. He was telling us about Jeffrey Epstein and Robert Maxwell's relationship. And it's a fascinating 20 minutes or so. I hope you don't mind listening to it all, because uh, I think it will take us back. And it, it tells us exactly how he, firstly, he knew, he was the only one who knew, that Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein met in the 1980s. They didn't, in fact, meet when everyone else said they met, which was in the 1990s. They'd met previously mm -hmm. in the 80s. And then oh, Robert Maxwell... Under, when, when, when Epstein was sort of under the radar with, I think, Bear Stearns around that time, he kind of dropped off the... And was working the Saudi arms deals in the 1980s. Um, that's with Robert Maxwell. Uh, Robert Maxwell, you know, he was working with Khashoggi at the time. And, you know, mm -hmm. Ari Ben-Manashi was around that whole scene. Uh, another person wow. who's... Is, you know, he's been on the show. And what he says here in this clip is so fascinating. And I want people to just listen to him again, you know, posthumously. It's so good to listen to him. He's not lying about any of this. He's telling us that Robert Maxwell viewed Jeffrey Epstein as his heir apparent, that he viewed Jeffrey Epstein as his future son-in-law, and that he was going to pass the baton of the entire business, the intelligence business, the whatever, the arms trafficking business, whatever it was that was at the core of Robert Maxwell's illicit life that he was going to pass that on to Ghislaine and Jeffrey Epstein so they can continue their work in the United States. There are people who will tell you that that is not true. There are people who will tell you that he was making it up and he had theories and whatever. He does not know. I can guarantee you those things are true. They'll tell you that I'm not telling you the truth. But um, thanks to the uh, magic of the internet and tape uh, or digital tape, let's at least uh, hear it from him again. This is how he describes the relationship between Robert Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and what Robert Maxwell's intentions were. This is from uh, 2020, I think. Um, and I'm going to skip over Hanson because I'm worried about the time. Uh, and I'm going to skip... I mean, really young. Look at that. <laughs> day show. But, oh, that's a whole other show. <laughs> but let's get to the 1980s. And, uh, and Namostad has moved their operations from Paris to London. And uh, Ghislaine Maxwell meets Jeffrey Epstein in London. And you know about that, don't you, Stephen? Yes, I know about Jeffrey Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell and what took place in their takeover of Robert Maxwell, the father of Jelaine Maxwell's spying business. That was a handoff from the father, Robert Maxwell, to his daughter, Jelaine, who brought in her lover and boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein, in the takeover of the father's 
espionage business. You think like a hand-me-down, like hereditary hand-me-down business? Like yes, you would do at a yes, you know, yes. restaurant or something? Business records went to Jeffrey Epstein's Palm Beach house. Hmm. Yes, was there a lot of money? Complete takeover. Hmm. Well, it was an important business, and it was on the plan, the game plan of Jeffrey Epstein. If you follow the dots from the Dalton School to where he went after the Dalton School to Bear Stearns, getting fired, thrown out, losing his licenses, being penalized, then going to work in the arms procurement business and the trafficking business, that was the master plan. Do you think Robert Maxwell was in it too? I mean, do you think he had a big, this was the, the, the thought about thing with Epstein? He inherited Epstein. He mm -hmm. took him into the business. He vouched for Epstein. Mm -hmm. He made Epstein acceptable in the intelligence industry. He sold Epstein's brand to the intelligence industry because mm -hmm. that was going to be his son-in-law. Right, so that was that the driving was factor. Plan. I have some questions about that because yeah. you have to train uh, quite a bit before you are allowed to do interesting things. So I have some questions about his native talent there. Well, let me elaborate on what I said earlier. Epstein left Dan Stearns and went to work for intelligence assets men who were operators of intelligence for decades. That's Jeffrey Epstein's employment when he leaves Bear Stearns. Mm. And he spent years in training on that on Khashoggi, Douglas Lease, and a battery of others in the intelligence business. Years. And that's at a time frame, 91, Jeffrey Epstein starts in the early 80s in intelligence training. And in 91, Maxwell Robert dies. And Jeffrey Epstein takes over everything with Jelaine Maxwell that was operating. So there was a lot of years of training. So he wasn't a Wall Street financier. He was, a, he was an arms dealer it's and amazing. an intelligence it's guy. amazing interview. Well, it's what occurred if you connect the dots. Yep. And they all connect very well. You know, I know bankers. I know financiers. And if you just told me those facts about any person, take the famous last name off, I go, that's a spy. And whether it's of private course. or, you know, double, triple agent, I mean, that's just a spy. That's not a finance guy. That guy can, you know, finance guy will do your taxes, tell you, you know, what, you know, we're going to do exchange traded funds. But like, no, no, we're going to set up a series of compromising positions for these guys. I can get you missiles. No, that's a spy. There's no question of that. That was the plan of Jeffrey Epstein. That's why he went for the spying road. I was recruited at the same time to go with Jeffrey Epstein into the spying with him, by the same people. And I said, I can't do that. I mean, that's not my life, and I won't cross that line. And I'm not remorseful. I'm very remorseful of what happened in my career, but I couldn't go with Jeffrey Epstein into the spying. I refused that invitation, which came to me 
a number of times with the same people that hired Jeffrey Epstein. And Zev has been tracking this down effectively and has put all these dots on the table to be connected. Great job, Zev. Great Thank job. you very much, Steve. Uh, a lot of help from you and from a lot of other people. So uh, it's it's a fun puzzle to put together, I have to say. Uh, I wish it was under not such tragic circumstances, but I'm going to keep going with a couple of here because I do want to get to towers and we're running a little short of time. So one of the things that happens is this software promise comes along. Promise is this all I you know all seeing software. It basically tracks databases uh, from wherever they come from and can compile them all in one. So if you're wanting to find out what Eric Garland is all about. You can put it into Promise, and it'll look it up your your local taxes. It'll put you know your last time you got a traffic ticket. It'll put whatever information it can grab for the banking system and everywhere else into one location, and then whoever's running the Promise software can get access to all of this. Now, this was originally designed by the Justice Department, although some people think it was actually the National Security, it would be the NSA that came up with it. It also got stolen by the Israelis, by Ari ben Menashe and uh, Rafi Eitan, the spy handler. And so they bought it, they put a back door in it and started selling it around the world so they could spy into the KGB or they could spy into the Syrians or into the Jordanians uh, spy agencies as well. Which is really a fascinating thing because basically we've all been big brother to death for what is this 1984 it's a long time ago the software was was being around long before you know we were hearing about prism and other things however what people don't really realize is that promise was also brokered and sold by various people including adnan khashoggi and i i say that with particular interest and i'll pull this up the slide because i'm wondering if epstein also had a role to play in addition to Maxwell. Maxwell for sure was brokering a promise, but I'm wondering if Epstein was also involved in this in any way. And Steve, I'm wondering if you have any information about that. What were the years of promise development and marketing? So it was stolen, I guess, in 1983. And then Maxwell started marketing it in 1984 through his Berlitz companies around the world. And they were actually fronts for him to sell arms, but also to market the promised software. And then as far as 1985, and I'm throwing this document up on the screen, you can't see it, Steve, but um, it's an actual Bill Weld, who I think was running for president until recently, writing to say that Adnan Khashoggi and his arms trading partner, they got to broker promise into Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. So that seems to me... Well, that theme was in that circle at that time with those people. Exactly those people. He was working with them daily. So the answer is yes. So Steve, did you ever meet Rafi Atan or hear that name or have with the Jeffrey ever? Was he ever going, I'm going to go out to lunch with Rafi? Any, you recognize that name? I heard the name, but I wasn't in the loop in that component. I had my own responsibilities at that time, and I was extremely busy on my workload. You know what's really interesting as well about Promise is that it was used for banking scams and financial crimes as well. Yes, I've heard about Promise. There was no question. So do you think Epstein used it at Towers? Epstein did the money laundering crimes involving towers that we've learned more about 
in the revolution of what's happening with Epstein for life since he was arrested in 2019. We've now gone very deep in investigating Epstein's life over the years you're covering, and we've uncovered that he was deeply, deeply involved in the Middle East and in the money laundering and the arms sales. And the promise business is right there. And that's what he did at Towers Financial, the money laundering. So, so it's possible it's that promise was used disgusting there. Business. So promise that actual software that was stolen, that was designed to work at the Justice Department, may have actually been used at Towers Financial. We couldn't pin down for you the actual points of fact. We could pin down what Epstein did at Towers Financial and how he was extraordinarily successful in what he did. It goes much deeper than what's been revealed so far. In what way? So you're, It has not been revealed the magnitude of Epstein's sabotage of Towers Financial, deliberate sabotage of Towers Financial. And that's where it comes to play with Thomas Barack mm-hmm. and Abraham Gossman and the other parts that you have some knowledge about, Zev. Mm-hmm. There was a plan to demolish Towers Financial for Epstein's enterprise, enormous gain. And they were able to do that with Thomas Barak. Tom was the CEO of Colony Capital. He had entered into a contract to take over Towers Financial, and Epstein's group was able to stop that contract. And the Securities Exchange Commission has all the records. I'm going to stop it there, I mean, because... There's just too much to talk about without letting it uh, keep going. Uh, Steve is a phenomenal guy. I had spent uh, most of the time on the phone with him, but there were a couple of times when we met in person. Uh, one time on his birthday, um, must have been his 74th birthday, I bought him a piece of cake and he'd done an interview with uh, this documentarians I, I was working with. And uh, we went out with his uh, sidekick who... He's an interesting guy who came from, he met in prison and uh, we shared a cake, he had a cake and he wished him a happy birthday. You know, that was the person he spent his birthday with. He did not have any family with that. He's not, did not a, yeah. have any real reason to do this for money in terms of passing it on to his family or anything like that. I felt like he was always noble in his intentions and he was really honest with me in terms of what he knew. And I think with you too, Eric, I think there's no doubt that as he's telling us this stuff for the first time, you know, we, this was news. We were breaking it for the first time that uh, Ghislaine and, yes, we and, were. and Jeffrey Epstein met each other in the 80s and that there was an attempt to continue an espionage business passed down from Robert Maxwell, who was an Israeli spy for sure, down to Jeffrey Epstein, who Hoffenberg and others have confirmed to us with Israeli assets. So we've got there a continuity of, of knowledge then about the fact that the Israelis were involved with Maxwell, the Israelis were involved with Epstein. And uh, whatever happened with Epstein in the United States was under their authority. And uh, that's something we'll cover in, in the next clip I want to play for you. And it's something I think that the reason is that I, I get attacked all the time by people. Lincoln's Bible, who, by the way, is on that clip. You hear her asking a question or two. In fact, she seems to be deflecting the, the conversation into another direction there at the end there. 
Lincoln's Bible, whose real name is Stephanie Coffin. Everyone should know her as that name. She herself tried to derail uh, Hoffenberg and me on several occasions. And on one occasion, she organized a attempt to kill an entire investigation by CNN. So we had contracted with CNN. Offenberg was going to do an interview with them. Ari Menashe was going to do work with them. We were going to try and break the story globally on CNN. And she was the broker of that whole thing. And in fact, was a typical catch and kill we have now known. And so when you hear Lincoln's Bible, a.k.a. Stephanie Koff and her cohorts, Greg Oliar and Alison Gill and uh, Glenn Kirshner, everyone else who's on that group of network programming that they have decided to, they you know want to isolate me or isolate others. This is who you're talking about. This is someone who tried to kill the truth about Jeffrey Epstein. This is someone who was working on behalf of interests aligned with Jeffrey Epstein to make sure that we did not know the truth about Jeffrey Epstein and all the terrible things that he did in the United States. So, you know, a lot of you who watch this program sometimes dabble between what we do here and what they do over there. There's a real difference. They are propagandists. They are providing cover for intelligence assets, for intelligence agencies. We're doing real reporting, real journalism here. And because of that, they've come after us. Because of that, you know, I see David Benjamin, another Israeli asset likely on the chats here. These people are here to destabilize America. They're not here for the truth. They're here to, here to make sure that we are accepting their version of the truth because it covers up all the crimes. There are, there's a litany of crimes committed by the Israeli intelligence agencies and other intelligence agencies in the United States that are being covered up. And it's these guys to have, I don't know why they've decided this, but they've decided that they should either perhaps they get paid. Perhaps they're real operatives, or otherwise they just decided that this is something they want to do is to destroy the people's careers who are telling the truth and also disparage people like Steve Hoffenberg, who at the end of his life, who spent a lot of time in jail, uh, you know, having to deal with the crimes of Jeffrey Epstein, 18 years in jail for the crimes of Jeffrey Epstein yeah, and his he did, crimes. He did 20, 20 hard years yeah. there. Yeah, he, this guy was apologetic pen, right? and remorseful, and I know that's to the core of him and me. I just know that that's the guy that I spoke to so many times. And so to have these people like Lincoln's Bible, Stephanie Koff, Greg O'Lear, Alison Gill, claim to be liberal-minded people who are supportive of democratic causes, to have them to try and destroy the stories of these people, to go on on behalf of the Israeli intelligence agencies, and I apologize for getting a little bit upset about this, but it really is... You know, it's beyond reproach because I know a lot of people have time for them. You cannot have time for Lincoln's Bible. Who is she? Why wouldn't she even reveal her real name? Who is LB? Why come on here with my real name? You come here with the real name. She can come on with her real name. Her name is Stephanie Koff. Look her up. See who she is. And then you'll find out that there's a lot about her that's kind of mysterious and a lot of stuff that's really interesting about her that doesn't add up. But most importantly, in my investigation and in my research, it's clear that these people are attempting to hide the truth about what Jeffrey Epstein did in this country. And that's something that should, everyone should be aware of because it's absolutely disgusting uh, that they've been able to get away with this kind of cover-up and that there is no, the media is, whatever, the media in the, in the United States, of course, also controlled and owned by sort of dubious, dubious entities. But, you know, the fact that no one is willing to actually look at these facts, look at the fact that they uh, did a catch and kill on a Jeffrey Epstein ex expose, that covered up the, I mean, we're talking about not only the human trafficking, we're talking about the assault of young women, the blackmail of politicians, high up politicians in America, the stealing of, of top secret information, confidential information, and stuff that you're seeing right now that Donald Trump is accused of. Guess what? Jeffrey Epstein did all of that too, when he got all that documentation from the people that he blackmailed with, because he had them you know, caught on tape sleeping with children. 
I mean, this is the kind of people that you are spending time, effort, and money listening to online. And certainly coming after me in the way that she has, but mostly after people like Steve. On several occasions, she really stood in the way of Steve getting his story out. And I can say that with absolute confidence. And it's disgusting. This is a man who wanted to get his story out, who wanted to tell the truth about Jeffrey Epstein. And Lincoln's Bible took it upon herself to stop this man and the truth about Jeffrey Epstein from coming out. It's inexcusable. And anyone who spends time listening to her, following her on her Twitter account, should be ashamed of themselves. And, and Greg Oliar, who I used to consider a friend, and all these others, Alison Gill, how dare you associate with this person? Glenn Kirshner, how dare you associate with someone like Lincoln's Bible who covered up for Jeffrey Epstein? That's who you're associating with. Think about what you'll go down at we're associating with someone who's working on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein. Monster, an absolute monster. That's who you're working with, and that's who you've decided to put your chips in. And there's all of you. I mean, you know who your names are. I won't go through this list of people who've decided they can't come on narrative because Lincoln's Bible has told them that they can't come on narrative. You need to come on narrative and explain exactly why you've decided to do that. Because why have you decided that Lincoln's Bible is some sort of God and correct about this? Because you believe that Israeli intelligence, or are you being directed by an Israeli intelligence not to come on the show? That really is a question you have to ask yourself. I know exactly why and who you are. I've got all your names, and I want you all to come back into the show and start you know, acting responsibly. It's absolutely despicable that you're associating. Well, folks, uh, we've been at this a few years, and <laughs> Zev's not making up uh, the taking the hits part. Yeah. And uh, I certainly have. You know, Eric, you haven't Well, that's the espionage story. game. This is something, looking back through this content here. Yeah, that we did. And that first show that you just put on, I was pretty exhilarating. And it was like, and, and, and this is all you. This, I'm just, folks, I was, I was, I'm just color commentary here. But, you know, but seeing that timeline of like the 70s through the 90s, you know, and you see all this Iran-Contra stuff and all this like, oh, 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 yeah. And, you know, I have cognitive bias around espionage in the sense that I work in the intelligence field and I'm, you know, looking at the the spy stuff, you know, uh, because that's what moves a lot of the world is covert action. And that's why they spend so much money on it. And that's why they try and cover up what they're doing. And up to that point, Jeffrey Epstein's story, man, they, as soon as like he kind of got exposed, I think they were expecting Clinton to win, right? Yep. Yeah. And you then they were going to throw Epstein, yep. who, who I think had started to pivot in the, in the years before, they were going to throw Epstein at the Clintons and then everything was going to fall apart. But then well, Trump came yeah, out Trump. and then and there's spies all over the place. Then people started hearing about Jeffrey Epstein and it's like, he's a pedophile. And this was really the beginning of the change in the story. And we did that here mm -hmm. of, no, man, this is an espionage story. And, you know, as far as other voices out there, not everybody can cover Intel stuff uh, properly proper or nor do they want to. And I think there's a lot of stuff that gets covered as partisan, you know, as Democrats versus Republicans, though the Republicans are a couch fire right now, there's no question. But you know, the, a lot of this is the secret histories behind it. And you know, that getting to work with Steve on that in the twilight of his years after doing hard, hard time for these crimes, yeah. you know, it was exhilarating to be able to work and, you know, maybe not believe 100% and maybe take with a grain of salt because uh, didn't he, he hung out with Roger Stone a little bit, right? Didn't he? He did. He was open and honest about that. You know, Roger Stone also had an interest in the Jeffrey Epstein story and believed he could make some no, money off it. Did. 
you know, one of the first people I thought about today was with, does Roger Stone know the news about him? Because I do think that they're sort of two, they came out of the same kind of era, you know, they're sort of these larger than life espionage type guys. Maybe Steve wasn't a full espionage guy, but he was certainly a big deals guy, a big politics guy. You know, these are the same kind of characters. They're very outlandish. They're the same age group. They I, certainly ran in the same circles. It was a... I, okay, some of the stuff that I maybe didn't buy as much, like, um, no, if you know Israeli-connected spies or anything about them, you've probably heard the name Raphael Eitan, yeah. a very important figure in Israeli intelligence. And uh, when the question got asked, you know, hey, you ever have lunch with that dude? You ever meet him? Like, oh, nah, I didn't hang out with those guys. True, I, except he was not a spy. He never actually became a spy. Hoffenberg got in trouble because he was a business partner. He did a lot of the business stuff, yeah. but he was not actually a spy. And Rafi worked for the uh, science like and technology, the other like branch. Him. And uh, the Epsteins and Ghislaine worked for the for the military intelligence people. I know there were two different kinds. One of them was in well, science and technology. Well, one was said was uh, was military well, intelligence. Today's a, today's a huge day for that. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, I think this is coming straight from the Biden administration. They're working on opening up these scientific journals mm. and taking down the paywalls. Anything that's government. Now we're going to talk about the Maxwell story. It's really important because do you remember what company what Maxwell got into in the United States and in Britain? In publishing, publishing what? Uh, it was uh, scientific, scientific documents stuff. and nuclear documents in particular. It was Perrottese yeah, Press, I think it's called, or something like that. Anyway. They were looking, uh, well, and then I think, didn't he uh, have a chunk of Elsevier at some point? I forget, but he, the, the, the amazing yeah, of scientific good. research as it came out, that was, I mean, one, that's classic spy stuff. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, okay, Epstein's hanging out with all these nerds. I mean, this is the usefulness of having pretty, you know, you got nerds and pretty girls that don't often go together, right? Mm -hmm. So you collect up the nerds and then you put them with pretty girls and then you get them. Hey, well, how's that science? How is that, you know, experiment going? Or what what are you guys planning next to fund? Classic spy stuff. It's not about the girls. Mm -hmm. It's about the nanotechnology. It's about the nukes. That's exactly what he did. uh, You know, that is so smart of you to go there because... One of the reasons we know that there's actually continuity between Epstein and Maxwell is because they did the same thing. You know, he was involved in technology and making sure he got all the into Bill Gates's world and into Zuckerberg's world and remember his world. Maxwell was into the same thing with scientists. You know, it's the same deal. By pure chance, I just I, I Googled something here. did it all. You get, I mean, and Steve took us through it. He's like, oh, no, you know, an arms deal, Khashoggi. And again, that first that first show we're on, I'm just sitting there like, I'm I'm pretty chill, right? Mm, yeah, but right. my noggin, I'm like, holy, holy shnikes. Like, this is, we're doing this like, oh, and then I, you know, he did the Saudi arms deal. And then, and, and it's like. You know, it's uh, great. <laughs> you love these. These these are actually the FBI. Pure just did a quick search and found these on the on my computer here. But these are the actual FBI documents uh, that were following oh, uh, Maxwell around in those early days. Maxwell's uh, file. Yeah, and you know it took British intelligence. I've read it, uh, but assumes he may have uh, during World War II. He's a brilliant linguist. Was born in Czechoslovakia. Immigrated to here. So it, this is these are the entire files as they're following him around and thinking, what is this guy doing? In the United States, with all these scientific documents, meeting <laughs> all these like chemical company How did people, FBI counterintelligence, figure, you know, start tailing him. They're like, guy who has six names, yeah, guy who lives in a town that doesn't exist anymore, that maybe Slovakia, that maybe you know, uh, Ukraine now. 
kind of knows the queen of England and he's running around with a bunch of scientific documents and the, you know, I mean, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's obviously he's his spy. So you don't need to think very hard or very long about why this is the case. But, you know, the fact that there is, as you mentioned earlier on, it's important to remember that, you know, it's, it's not personal, of course, that they're coming after me or you or Steve Hoffenberg. It is business on their part. They are trying to make sure that the truth about yeah. their enterprise is never revealed. And you know what? That's not good enough. We're going to reveal it. We're going to tell the stories as they come out. We're going to tell the truth when we discover it, because that's what journalists are meant to do, uh, at least the way I was trained to be a journalist. And I'm going to play you another tape now, if you don't mind, because this is another show. Uh, this is when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested. We were both on together again, and Lincoln's Bible was with us. And I got to say, if he was in cahoots with the Epsteins and the Maxwells, he just sure didn't sound like he was upset about her being arrested. He sounded quite happy that day that she had been arrested. And, you know, on the other side of this, I'm going to tell you the story about the t- how I and Hoffenberg found out about Epstein's death. But we'll do that wow. after we listen to uh, some of this. This is the day Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested. Um, this is from Narrative. Take a look at this. There's no doubt in my mind that none of us ever expected to see a day where Ghislaine Maxwell would be arrested uh, for the crimes that she's been arrested for today. A very dramatic day. Let me take you through what happened. FBI agents arrested Maxwell at 8.30 this morning. She was living at her 156-acre property in Bradford, New Hampshire, which was bought in cash just last December through a carefully anonymized LLC. The indictment is 18 pages long and details how Maxwell enabled and participated in the sexual abuse of women as young as 14. And it alleges Maxwell lied under oath on two occasions. The indictment also describes a pattern of grooming, which sometimes resulted in sex acts in which Maxwell took part. We also found out today that Ghislaine Maxwell was not struggling for money. Between 2016 and 2020, she had 15 different bank accounts valued at between hundreds of thousands of dollars to more than $20 million. Ghislaine is not likely to get bail. That's because she's deemed a flight risk. She has both a French and a British passport. But all eyes tonight are on Prince Andrew, the Queen's favorite son and the man at the crosshairs of this investigation. This is one of the most dramatic uh, events that could possibly happen in a court case as big as this and in a case as big as this. Joined tonight by Steve Hoffenberg, a witness to many of the Epstein crimes, one of the few people who could attest to what happened during that time. Hey, Steve, how are you? Hi, Zev. How are you doing on this remarkable justice day? It is a remarkable justice day. Steve, you more than anybody else have been working so hard on this case. Uh, You know it so intimately. Did you ever think a day like this would have come? I must compliment the FBI and the acting U.S. attorney in New York City for the Southern District of New York for the amazing justice that occurred today and the shocking suffering that Jelaine Maxwell is now under is probably one of the worst days of her life. And it's a sad moment for her. In a great moment for the FBI, the victims of the crimes, and the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. It really is a great victory. Um, when we think back to 2008, she was included in that non-prosecution agreement, which would have covered, I think, the years that these crimes took place. Do you have a sense of why they would not look into or not take into account the prosecution or the non-prosecution agreement that Epstein 
concluded with Acosta and the other legal binds back in 2008? Ghislaine Maxwell, and I've spoken with her team regularly, and their position, her position to her staff and her spokesperson was that she's not going to have a problem. Mm. She expected no indictment, no arrest, and I can only see that the FBI is very serious about this case. The FBI has this case under control, and now you're going to see prosecutions as they have the main defendant under arrest other than Jeffrey Epstein right. right now. And she's not going to get bail very easily. I mean, as we saw in that little piece, she's too much of a flight risk. She has no reason to be in the United States. She's got multiple passports, multiple nationalities and international contacts. She's a real flight risk. So she's going to have to stay in jail in much the same way that Jeffrey Epstein had to stay. Well, she faced filings in federal court today in New England explaining that she's not entitled to any bail in the arrest that took place this morning. The FBI, U.S. attorney, explained step by step of her flight risk that prevents her to have bail, and it will be a very difficult decision for the court to override the FBI and U.S. attorney and allow her freedom. It will be very hard. I'm just worried that her state of mind will create another suicide in this case, because she is emotionally suffering more than we can imagine, much more than anybody can think about. It really must be, I mean, you can't imagine what it must be like to suddenly face, you know, going into prison behind bars and being such a high profile prisoner as well, and knowing what happened to Jeffrey Epstein and the, the fate he succumbed to, you know, it must be very distressing. And yet none of us could imagine this happening because she was so close to Prince Andrew. She still remains very close friends with Prince Andrew. It's believed that Prince Andrew was the reason Jeffrey Epstein got away with it in 2008. He was one of the forces that intervened on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein to, to get him that lighter sentence. And so everyone has sort of assumed the same thing would happen now. But clearly, this is 2020, and there's a, a very different uh, team on the field uh, thinking very differently about how to prosecute this. Keep in mind that they fired the Attorney General on fired the man that was in charge of this case, right. Mr. Berman. And right. that happened recently. And now, two weeks after the firing of Mr. Berman, the head of this case, we see the most amazing part since Jeffrey Epstein's death occurred by the FBI this morning. Do you think that's the arrest of yeah. Jermaine Maxwell. Do you think the timing had a lot to do with Jeffrey Berman's Firing, because it seems to me that it's quite, co you know, it's either very coincidental or it's followed quite quickly after his firing. Was it a message to Donald Trump? Was it a message to others that they were serious about this case and they were not going to be bullied by the firing of Jeffrey Berman? It was a very loud message mm -hmm. to the defendants in this case that have not been arrested so far now have Jerome Maxwell in federal custody. Now, Donald Trump, as the president of the United States, is at a different level of what he's probably dealing with daily because his plate is full. But the FBI understands this case now, 
and they are very aggressive in the prosecution in New York City of Delay Maxwell, who's going to name names of very important people. Very important. Why do you That's think she's going to do that? Case. Why do you think she's going to be naming names of important people? The arrest of Jelaine Maxwell, a very privileged socialite who grew up very rich and very comfortable and very accustomed to a great lifestyle, puts her behind bars in a terrible incarceration, in a terrible prison environment, in a very sad place. Now, if she starts cooperating quickly with the FBI and with the Justice Department, her imprisonment could be changed. All right, let's leave it there. You know, uh, she never did uh, reveal many names, not so far. Uh, and that's interesting. That is interesting that he said that at the very end there. Go ahead. Look, you know, any dude who does 18 years in the can and is psyched to hear <laughs> about the FBI doing something is like, you know, you, you believe in his sincerity and you, you can hear in his voice that he was proximate to those acts you know, maybe he carried some guilt around himself of not uh, reporting him or something, but was just disgusted with that part of that operation and was, you could hear he was glad that uh, Ghislaine be, would be wearing Arby's napkins for clothing for uh, the foreseeable future. Yeah, I also think it's, uh, you can hear in between the lines there of what I believe to be true, that he was uh, helping those investigations along where he could. For that reason alone, we've been interested in their success because... Uh, Just so interesting hearing Crooks tell you how to do it. Like, now, if she starts cooperating now, yeah. she's going to get some help. But if she's screwing around, like, that, when that did get here, maybe that would have been five years, it's going to be three, or and if not, it's going to be nine. I mean, he, he knew everything very intimately. He knew he, the he, deal. He knew everything about this case really, really well. I know, that's where, you know, I got a lot of good information from him. He was a fantastic source. And I did not for one second doubt his story. And I think no one should doubt his story. He's telling us the truth about a, a man who, uh, and Ghislaine as well, it's a partnership that was determined to cause damage to America. This is not just a human trafficking thing. This is not just a, you know, he liked young girls. This is not the case at all. This was the people who were intent on harming the United States of America. And you mentioned that they were going to throw all of the stuff against uh, Clinton if she had won. They were surprised by the stuff we discovered about Trump and Epstein, because that was a big part of what we were reporting on here about their connections. And so it's interesting that both candidates in this case were somehow connected to Jeffrey Epstein. And he was hinting at this about who else is concerned about this case, because this is beyond, you know, more than there's the abuse of the girls and the women. Then there is the creation of a sexual blackmail network that then goes and compromises people and gets decisions made that are not in the interest of the United States or of the fiduciary interest of the companies that are being run or any number of things. And when you look at the systematic way those networks are created, run, managed, dismantled, covered up, and how many of them are, are and you know how much damage they've caused this country, you know, it's no one that you kind of need our show to to get into it, uh, it's not something MSNBC is going to tear into, but maybe because, well, who knows? Uh, why they would have, except for the MS part, because you know Bill Gates, uh, you remember that MSNBC does actually uh, is Microsoft, if I'm not mistaken. And it's oh, in, in that's right. Well. That's right. Gates, and, Gates was 
thinking about how how do we improve your reputation here, Jeffrey, now that you've been uh, let out, which... Vito Bill That's Gates. interesting. What access did Jeffrey Epstein get to all our Microsoft accounts? Who knows what access he might have gotten during those years because of his friendship with Bill Gates and his senior executives over at Microsoft. You know, we don't have much time. And I, uh, I will tell a story that I've never told before. So the day that Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in the jail cell in Manhattan, mm-hmm. it was early in the morning. I was up early. I started working on, on various investigations and just writing stuff. And this newsflash showed up on the Twitter feed and, and I... Couldn't believe it. I was like, well, that's impossible. We just started our investigation into Jeffrey Epstein just that a week or so ago. How could it be that he was found dead? And I, uh, first person I thought to call was the, one of my first sources on this was Steve Hoffenberg. And I called him. I knew Steve was in hospital that morning. He had undergone an operation. Uh, but mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to give him a call anyhow. I called Steve and I told him that Jeffrey Epstein had passed away, that he'd been killed. You know, maybe it was a suicide, but it certainly felt like he'd been taken out in prison. And his reaction was... Firstly, devastated because he was a said, this was my partner back then. This was the person I used to do things with. Yeah. I know this guy for so many years. And then total fear. He was convinced they were coming after him next. I had various interactions with his doctor who would not even let come near him at the time. He was so terrified that someone was going to not take him out at that point. And wow. he, had, he had ideas about who that might be as well, which I won't go into now. But, you know... Yeah. It was a terrifying period of time. It was a complicated, difficult morning. I, you know, we, I'd started the Jeffrey Epstein investigation naively. I didn't really expect it to lead us into all these kind of avenues. And yet here I was just, uh, you know, he, he was dead a few weeks into our investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to one of his uh, close business associates and who was desperately in fear of his life at the time. You know, we, we got through that piece there, but, uh, you know, I, I don't doubt uh, Hoffenberg's authenticity. I never did. And I, uh, People react the way they do, you know, in those kind of pressurized situations, about as honestly as you can imagine that they will. And I think that was a very honest reaction. Um, so, you know, he was fearful that every time he spoke out, his life was at risk. So, you know, that is not something you, you choose to do lightly because you're wanting to make up stories or you're wanting to make money in the twilight of your life. It's something because you, 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 know, you want to believe in and you, you want to set right. He, I truly believe he wanted to set the record right on, on what happened and to do some karmic, uh, you know, fix-up work after being in jail for 18 years for the crimes he committed with uh, Epstein. You know, um, it's funny about the fear reaction. I've taken note when you talk about the different voices out there. I've taken note of who's ever not just been harassed, but who's ever been scared. Uh, Or I looked at the timing of when they revealed a story that they knew was bigger than people wanted out there. And... Uh, then something happens in their life. And, you know, what gets characterized as paranoia by some, there are certain folks that know, no, you know, correlation and causation may be close together on that one. And, uh, you know, Steve played a big game with big players. You know, he remembers when, uh, you know, Maxwell's pension fund collapses and all of a sudden he's, he falls off his own boat. I mean, rough game. So... No one is ever scared when they're being paid to lie for bad guys. You know, I grew to really be fond of him. And I think he allowed us a window into one of the biggest, if not the biggest criminal case in the last century. I think Jeffrey Epstein and and Robert Maxwell need to be investigated much further. And I think we really have to understand what their whole operation was about. And Steve Hoffenberg was the one person, one of the very few people who had insight into that 
was willing to give us all a portal into that world, who was willing to tell us exactly what he saw, who was willing to, without doubt, explain what he knew. And you have to give the man credit. You have to say that regardless of his legacy, where he was, people are saying he's a swindler and whatever he did during his life. At the end of his life, it was all about telling the truth and about making sure that the victims got their share of the money. That was what he was interested in. At the end of the day, you know, he was about the truth. And he's what's about the fellow going to do for, for a living? I mean, yeah. you know, I say what a character he was. He was a he was a character. I mean, yeah. he's you know, a leopard don't change his spots entirely. I, but I'll say, you know, uh, he launched, you know, for me, uh, several years of research with my own methodology and my own uh, sources and that story that he kicked us off with i didn't find anything that didn't line up it let wasn't me say, complete let me say we didn't have time for that there is a direct line between what hoffenberg told us and about what we later discovered israel was doing uh, maybe at the same time discovered that israel was doing uh, to support the trump election in 2016 so there's a uh, a through line there that is not disconnected you know, we're still living through the reality of that history and we're still living through the repercussions of that history. It's not, uh, once you get too deep into what I'm talking about, I think those who know will know. And I think, Eric, you've done incredible work on that front in terms of, you know, why there have been elements of various countries and intelligence agencies supporting uh, dictators and autocrats. Well, we learned a little bit about that through Hoffenberg's portal into Epstein's and, and Maxwell's world. So uh, I'll be forever grateful to him and I you know, hope you rest in peace. He was a uh, He's a good fella. Um, Eric, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll do the show uh, for real then. We have a big season ahead. I hope everyone joins us. It's our biggest yet. Uh, I apologize for losing it a little bit earlier. Maybe just, uh, you know, I get upset for Steve because I don't think he ever got uh, fully credited for everything he did. Well, we'll carry on his work. Yeah. And uh, thank you for joining us tonight. This was an impromptu show. It was just meant for us to say thank uh, you know, hello, and we'll be back in two weeks with, the, with our brand new investigation. Please don't forget, we still need your funding for uh, our next season, which just starts in two weeks, at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Please join and please support our network. It's the only way we get to do uh, this independent uh, research and investigations that we do here on Narrative. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.